Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. If you could go to Apple Podcasts, though, and subscribe to the, sh- subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. We'll read your reviews on the air. And then head over to patreon.com slash criticspod. It's the best, best way to help support the podcast. I can't talk today. And we have bonus episodes there. There is a Friday the 13th commentary track. Sean and Jeff did. Uh, and a lot more. And then T Public, I hate critics.net. Click on the T Public link on the right hand side or search Critics Pod at T Public. Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, you can find me at uh, vocal.media, which is the home of uh, geeks.media and horror.media, where I'm, most of my stuff is. And uh, of course, the, the, old, the older reviews you can find on the, uh, re- on the archive blog. It's uh, Sean at the movies.blogspot.com. And Jeff, where can people get your art? All my stuff is at jefflasseter.com. There's links to my Etsy, which I just dumped a bunch of stuff on this weekend. Um, I'm in the process of adding some more prints that are left over from Golden Con. So, yeah, jefflasseter.com. Excellent. Is there anything we need to talk about before we get on to our movies this week? Uh, Is there a Star Wars thing, Jeff? I think you might have a Star (laughs) Wars thing. Well, since Bob is giving me the, <laughs> the go-ahead here, uh, this weekend was Star Wars Celebration in London, and they announced three new Star Wars movies. Um, the first one is going to... Now, granted, I, I have a reason to be like, well, they announced a bunch of movies and they're not happening. Some of them are still happening. Some of them might... I don't know. However, uh, James Mangold is going to uh, direct a movie about... Uh, the origins of the Jedi. It'll take place 25,000 years before the Skywalker saga. Although I'm sure they'll figure out a way to get Darth Vader in there somehow. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, Then Dave Filoni, who is either the savior or the murderer of the Star Wars franchise, depending on how you felt about last week's episode of The Mandalorian, um, he's making one. He's making a film about the escalating war between the Imperial Remnant and the New Republic, which will, you know, kind of set up the sequel trilogy that everybody loves so much. Um, and then it's it's that's kind of in the Mandalorian timeline. So, you know, I'm sure we'll see a bunch more characters from the Clone Wars because that's Dave Filoni's thing. Um, and then my Bob, favorite wake up. news, Bob. Bob, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Bob. My favorite <laughs> news of the week from Star Wars Celebration is that Charmino Obed Shinoa is uh, filming a movie with Daisy Ridley returning as Rey, and she will be, um, uh, it'll be about the new Jedi Order that she's helping to usher in. So, But who's she going to fall in love with? <laughs> oh my God. I hope she falls in love with like a trans lesbian. <laughs> well, it better not be has. Lizzo or Jack Black because they're not nerd enough to be in Star Wars. That's an actual uh, conversation that happened on Twitter today, Bob. Jesus Christ. With who? <laughs> Some guy was complaining because I guess 
Jack Black and Lizzo are on an episode of The Mandalorian or something. People were very upset. They're yeah. not nerds. They're not nerd enough to be on Star Wars. Jack, yeah, Jack Black, notable, notable jock. Notable. Jack Black. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Black's a huge Star Wars fan. He has like a gonk droid or something in his house that he showed off during um, lockdowns. And Lizzo, <laughs> Lizzo, Def, she just told a story about how she would sit and watch Star Wars every weekend with her dad. I mean, she's she loves Star Wars. You know what? If you don't like Doesn't it. Matter. Yeah, watch something else. Go, go, not be a Star Wars fan. Go, it's too, it's go too watch woke Tucker for Carlson. you. <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> Jizz all over your Trump videos or something. <laughs> I hate that Star Sorry. Wars has to be the thing that aligns with me politically. <laughs> 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 I don't want to be with all those people shooting their Bud Light cans. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'll be brief, but I was the only one who got to see the biggest movie of the weekend, the Super Mario Brothers. And, $146 million at the box office. And Jesus. I saw a bunch of headlines about how it only did that because it was an anti-woke movie. And it wasn't from the left that was saying it. it was conservative going, this is what you need to do. You need to be anti-woke and you'll be more successful. I didn't watch this movie and think, Oh my God, this is so politically incorrect. I just watched a stupid movie about a video game from when I was a kid. Uh, so anti woke did uh, Chris Pratt drop a lot of n bombs and that no, kind of thing. He just played a white Italian from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they didn't like sacrifice a trans person no. on top of a pile of Bud Light cans or something. Nope. I mean, it was literally the video game. They. Uh, have to basically I guess if anything it was pretty woke because Princess was like the star Princess Peach you know she was the true superhero the entire time uh, but whatever but basically Bowser is going to go around and try to kill all the different worlds and Mario lives in Brooklyn and a failed plumbing company and uh, he falls down a green tube ends up in princess peach's world the mushroom world and luigi ends up on bowser's world and from there it's just the video games they go to donkey kong's world you, you basically relive that video game you go relive the first Mario brothers uh end up coming back to new York. i mean it was it was pretty if you were a fan of the original few Mario brothers games maybe even the more recent ones that i haven't played in 20 years uh-huh. uh it 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 was fun. It was you got to see like the Mike Tyson's punch out. You they go to a restaurant. You can see like Glass Joe picture of him on the wall. All these little cool. tiny, uh, just throwbacks to that time. Uh, I'm not a huge video game person, but every time something happened, my son would go ape shit along with like four or five <laughs> other people in the theater, and they were doing it at the same time and they were saying the same things very loud. Yeah. Uh, so they really enjoyed it. Well, that's uh, good. Do you want me to spoil it? How it ends? You might be able. To, you might be able to guess how it ends. Does he? Does he save the princess and like uh, get a bunch of coins and stuff? But but how? I mean, <laughs> I know that's going to happen. But he jumps down a tube, uh, or he hits his head on something and he grows big. Kind of. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious what it is once you get going. I mean, they give it away right off the right out of the gate and. Jack Black's Bowser is just 
all he wants to do is marry the princess. He doesn't want to kill her. <laughs> so it's just kind of, <laughs> it's fairly safe. And I, I don't know. It's, it's for <laughs> kids that like Mario. <laughs> so wait, is, is Bowser like, uh, what, Oh God, I forgot the term now. Is he like one of those uh, incels? <laughs> incel Bowser. Every, every guy gets the girl they want, <laughs> whether she wants them or not. Not quite, uh, but it definitely <laughs> flirts in that world. Uh, I, I actually know why this movie is anti-woke. Uh, the reason that Mario's uh, plumbing business failed is because it was so innovative that the government had to stop him and stepped in and prevented him from being successful. So he had to go off to this other world and become successful there, where John Galt helped him become the greatest plumber of all time. <laughs> I can Sorry, was that a too, too, too deep cut Ayn Rand for you? <laughs> <laughs> you clearly read those was it, books. What? <laughs> I <laughs> know I saw a shitty movie. Gotcha. Was uh, Mario one of Trump's contractors and he never got paid? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why he went out of business. He does. He ends up in the main world, the main mushroom world, or whatever, because he's trying to save Brooklyn because it's it's underwater. Uh, I don't know if that's because of Trump or not. They didn't go into <laughs> that, but yeah, uh, he, he was a failed plumber largely because he quit. He quit his job to go solo, and his dad told him he'd never amount to anything. And then he goes and saves Brooklyn at the end. Uh, I don't know. It's it's fine. It, it, I, I enjoyed it. My son really enjoyed it. Uh, then when you start reading headlines about how it's anti woke, that was a bummer. And I, I think it's kind of bullshit personally. But it is what it is. All right, let's move on to air. Air. You think I can't bring politics to everything? Just wait. <laughs> air stars stars Matt Damon as a, a, a famous uh, basketball guru who works for Nike in the 80s, and he wants to sign Michael Jordan uh, to, to Nike, which is not something that anybody would expect to happen because at the time Nike was definitely running third in terms of the world of basketball. Uh, they were not getting the top picks in the NBA draft. Converse and Adidas were one and two in the world, kind of dividing up all the biggest stars. Uh, Damon's characters, however, who becomes just obsessed with getting Michael Jordan. So he starts to do things that are kind of outside the norm of the uh, shoe advertising business. He goes to Michael Jordan's mom, Dolores, played by Viola Davis, and tries to get her on board, kind of impresses himself on her, and yeah, they, they have they have a good banter. Uh, which is a terrific scene. Damon and Viola Davis are, are terrific together. Uh, and the movie is paced brilliantly. Ben Affleck directed this. He's a tremendous director, and he's really phenomenal at at uh, pacing and his choices of scenes and how to get the most out of a scenes that are just mostly dialogue. He's got a great eye uh, for eye-catching settings and, and keeping you involved you know, with really great characters. Um, if there's anything holding me back about this is the idea that Nike was already a billion-dollar company, and they're talking about how they don't have enough money to sign Michael Jordan. They had plenty of money to sign Michael Jordan. Like they had they had a billion dollars in the bank. All they had to do was talk to the corporate guys and move the money over if they wanted to. But to frame this as the underdog story that they want to tell, and it's kind of impressive that they're able to do it, they have to tell the story that way, that they didn't have the money and that they didn't have the prestige enough to do it. And it is a great story, but when you break it down, 
the movie keeps kind of folding in on itself to address all of the concerns that you might have and try and put those to rest. It's like it's it's much like a um, a biopic that has to adhere to the person who's still alive and make them look good. So you have a you have a character like Jason Bateman's character, who's the marketing guru for Nike, has to say in a monologue that he's kind of conflicted about the idea that they make all their shoes in South Korea and Vietnam and how he that doesn't square with him giving a pair to his daughter every weekend when he sees her. And then the monologue becomes more about him being unable to see his daughter while, but Hey, we mentioned that thing about making the shoes overseas. We mentioned that it's okay. That's, that's okay. We can move on now. You know, the idea that we're going to treat, we're just going to brush away the issues that Nike has as a kind of a greedy corporation and stay, you know, the big ending title scene is like Bill Knight gave away two, two million dollars in, in charity, two hundred million dollars in charity over the years. Uh, but of course, he still makes his shoes. You know, he's still got eight year olds in Vietnam sewing Nikes. You know, what I mean, it, it just coming soon to a United States near you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I I'm impressed. Question. I'm impressed by so much about this movie. But at the same time, like the the scenes where they stop down and have to kind of like hand wave away all the various issues that that are here you know the idea like the idea of that that they've taken a story that essentially is about black excellence this amazing entrepreneur this this genius basketball player who becomes like the one of the biggest most important businessmen in the world they've taken his story and you know couched it in this group of white guys who are there to exploit him and then they kind of hand wave that away by saying, well, that's yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> like, you have to square those things in your head. And I struggled with that a lot, trying to love this movie, because I think in many ways, it's such a good movie. It's such a it's such a great you know, the way he frames it as an underdog story and makes you kind of buy into the idea that it's an underdog story is a really great trick that Ben Affleck has pulled. And. Everybody in the movie is acting their asses off. They're fantastic. But I couldn't get past those nagging notions of, you know, the things that they're trying to the, the distract you from, the magic trick that they're trying to pull. I kept looking at the other hand to see what it was doing, you know. <laughs> and, uh, in the end, I like this movie, but I have a lot of reservations about this movie. Jeff, do you want to go next? Uh, Sure. I actually really, really enjoyed this, and I don't give a shit about sports. Like, from a from my perspective, this was a biopic of a marketing campaign, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, my day job is in marketing, and I the underdog isn't Nike so much as it's Matt Damon. You know, it's he's the underdog because he's about to lose everything, but he likes to gamble, so he's going to gamble all of everything. That they're that they're willing to give. It's you know, if you if you look at it like they have a marketing budget, within that budget they can you know endorse these three players, etc. I know all about that. So that to me you know wasn't like oh it's a billion dollar company just move the money over. That that wasn't an issue for me at all. Um, to me, it was all about the you know the <laughs> how do you get from a company that does running shoes and, you know, Ben Affleck, he kind of really underlined that point a few times in his monologues where we're a running company basketball. We're not, you know, we're not going to get basketball. It's, it's not a thing. He's a runner. So that's where his focus is. Uh, When I was, when I was in like sixth grade, everybody wanted a pair of Nikes. 
it was just that's what everybody wanted and that's where my disbelief was like oh i i i remember everybody wanting nikes nobody wanted adidas when i was in the sixth grade or seventh grade um when i got my first pair of jordans i got the black and red ones and my brother got the uh red white and black ones i just thought i was like the coolest thing in the world i mean i was but i just thought i was um you know it it to me, this this was not just an underdog story, but uh, how are these dumb, middle-aged white guys going to pull off what we all know they did pull off? You know, how are they going to do that? And I'm I'm I like that kind of you know we know how something's going to end, but the, it's it's about getting there, and that's what this movie was. It was about the journey as opposed to the destination. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of a thing at work right now where we're doing this giant event and I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm Matt Damon going, I don't think, I, I don't know. I believe in it, but I don't know if it's going to work. And, you know, I'm also Jason Bateman going, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Hopefully it'll happen. Um, <laughs> so I could, re- I could relate to it in that, you know, in that sense. <laughs> Uh, I, again, though, but I don't care. I never cared about Michael Jordan. I liked the shoes. I liked, you know, I loved my, my, one of my favorite things about the movie is that they actually tell you why just do it is their slogan. <laughs> and I had just heard that story on my favorite murder. And I was like, I can't believe they actually put this in the movie. And they did. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm with you, Jeff. I, I loved it a lot too, and and I think a lot of the stuff that Sean brings up is more. I, I think it's the fact that Ben Affleck's aware of all the problems with Nike and the fact that it's all a bunch of white guys, and so he he goes out of his way to address certain things that if he just left alone, you might not think about it, or maybe you do, but it's not part of it's not what this movie's about. Uh, so maybe that I, I think if anything that would be the the flaw. But I didn't really think about those things too much, other than when I brought it up. Uh, but similar to Jeff, it's like I've been in these situations, and I, you know, in my company, I know who's this guy and who's that guy, and which one am I? And it's just that just made it fascinating for me. And it, Jeff's right; they don't. Just, I don't care if you're a billion dollar company. He, they don't move budgets around <laughs> very often. Uh, and and he's right. It really is about the, it's about Matt Damon's character and trying to make this happen. And the other part is for me, you know, I'm the youngest one on the show, not by a whole lot, but still enough that this timeline kind of matters. Michael Jordan was already Michael Jordan. Air Jordans were already a big thing before I can really remember. I, I, I wasn't around prior to that. I didn't know Nike was just a running shoe. Nike was always the main shoe. Adidas had already kind of the run DMC thing had come and gone. It was still there, I guess, but it wasn't what it was. They're more of a soccer shoe at that point. And Converse, you know, Slash started wearing, and they weren't really a basketball shoe anymore. I don't even know how anybody could ever play basketball in Converse. <laughs> uh, but it, it just. You know, if they don't do this, yes, Michael Jordan still becomes still becomes Michael Jordan, but this played a role in that. I mean, it really did. Uh, he became more than Michael Jordan when this started happening. And that's pretty, you know, Converse wasn't offering that up. Adidas wasn't offering that up. Uh, 
and that it is a pretty neat story so and even what did you guys think of all the nostalgia was it annoying you or did you like it my wife hated that part of it she hated the <laughs> constant montages over the 80s uh, i mean I that some of that is over a little overbearing i liked the needle drops i enjoyed just about every one of the needle drops in the movie i thought that was pretty great <laughs> every song choice was pretty strong i loved anytime i can hear big country in a movie I'm, i i get happy that that movie that's yep. that's a fun song that even you know, but even what they do, Cindy Lauper's time after time, impressively. Like I think this is a, I think this is a as a as purely as a movie, it's very very good. Uh, I, I'm I'm bringing a lot to it because again, I think I think aspects of it, the way they try and address those things, the hand waving and the kind of the the kneeling down to Nike, nags at me, and that's going to hold me back from loving this movie perhaps as much as you guys do. Uh, and and I found I found Damon I found ba- I found Bateman's monologue to be awkward and a, a, and especially way, the way it just diver he brings it up and then he diverges from that completely just to say we mentioned it uh, I thought that was deeply awkward Chris Tucker's aspects are deeply awkward at times where he's trying to bring the racial aspect to it but also like hey we brought up the race now we can move on you know like that stuff is going to nag at me and hold me back from loving it but I think on a as a film, like Affleck, you know, is an incredible director. And in many yeah. ways, this is an incredible movie. I do have to say, too, they, as one of the characters was the first celebrity I ever met, and that was George Raveling. He came to my school when, I, when, I, when he was the head coach of Iowa basketball. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> got to talk to him for a minute and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he told me I should play football. And I was like, girl, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it like that. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't mind the nostalgia stuff. I thought it was fun. And I I mean it's not Glengarry Glen Ross, which is I think kind of what I wanted it to be, but once I let that go, uh I I really liked it for what it was and I I don't dispute what Sean's saying that stuff's definitely there but I think that's more on Affleck than it is them even I don't think they realize they're bowing down to, to Nike when, with what they're doing I think they feel like they're challenging them and it gets a little distracting because uh, they're not but I didn't really notice it till Sean starts bringing it up now and it still doesn't really take me from it uh, you, you also throw into the fact that I was a big Michael Jordan fan I go to bed like still for the last couple of years watching the last dance. Cause it's just easy to fall asleep to. <laughs> I, I only watch shows for the podcast movies for this podcast. And then that I don't, or maybe some throwaway shit like South Parker and practical jokers. I can't handle TV right now. It's just, I don't have the patience for it. And so I don't know. It just, that that's right. In my if you want a good sleep show, if you want a good sleep show, mm-hmm. Murder She Wrote. <laughs> but here's why, like that, or I never watched that. I never watched Golden Girls, so I don't have the comfort with it, and that's why I feel bad. About, it's like I could, I used to do it with, you know, I could, I could watch Coach and go to sleep and be, you know, because that's what I watched when I was a kid. But I, I've never seen those shows, so I'd end up watching them. Is what would happen. I'd have to get through <laughs> all the seasons, and then it would turn into a good sleep show. <laughs> that's why i watch the same youtube videos every night it's like <laughs> I, I need the thing that I, I already know what happens at the end you know i know where the the thing is going and that's why i have to watch that's why i can fall asleep to it 
Right. It, it's just there's a level of comfort. It's not an insulting t- to that piece of art or whatever, but it just it's a comfort and it helps me sleep. Anything else on air before we move on? Go see it. It was really good. All right. And then Paint with Owen Wilson. Paint stars Owen Wilson, not as Bob Ross. This has basically just a vague inspiration of Bob Ross. Not vague. I mean, it's an entire ripoff of Bob Ross, essentially. But (laughs) it's not about Bob Ross because it goes off in a completely different, far more weird direction. Uh, The story goes that... uh, uh, Owen Wilson is a painter on a PBS station in Vermont. He's a big deal there. Uh, he's uh, he's also kind of a womanizer. He's got every woman at the place just absolutely falling all over him until a new painter arrives to uh, to take over and kind of do a show immediately after his and uh, uh, played by Sierra Renee. Uh, and she's kind of better than him. And he's got to kind of deal with the blow to his ego and this is a very weird movie. <laughs> like, uh, the character's name is Carl Nargle. Uh, he uh, is the, the star of the Vermont PBS, but that's kind of, he's the, this big fish in a small pond and doesn't really go any further than that. The whole tone of it is so odd because you think that there's going to be something more to it and there never really is anything more than that. It's kind of a Wes Anderson movie. It also kind of has the tone of like late night adult swim in in a way, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Michaela Watkins, Stephen Root, Wendy McClendon Covey uh, are just all just really great in this movie. Just very, very funny and entertaining. Uh, but everybody in this cast is very funny. There's a very funny cameo by Denny Dillon in this movie. And I found myself laughing a lot at this, like far more than I could have ever expected because I just didn't know what this movie was going to do. Owen Wilson basically just he just keeps painting the same mountain over and over again from kind of different directions and then when you find out why it's sad and poignant as much as it is hilarious to watch him continue to do it um is it I where was, he buried the body the bodies of where uh, people that he kills no no it's oh. nothing like that it's nothing at all like that it's a very it's kind of, it's a very wholesome story in the end even with all of the supposedly the women he's sleeping with who he may not actually be sleeping with he may just be making them paintings of mountains we don't know for sure <laughs> that's good that's just how the weirdness of this movie i i find it i find this movie very charming in an odd way i not, most people hate it and i understand why they hate it but i kind of found a sweet spot in this one that just it just kept making me laugh and i'm like why is this funny i'm not sure but I, I love the weirdness of it. I love this idea. That, and like I said, the, the vaguely way Wes Anderson with a little bit of late night adult swim just kind of it kind of worked on me. I could see this movie. Just, I could see like Owen Wilson's Carl Nargle being on adult swim from like midnight to 5 a.m. Just just talking weird about how he likes stew <laughs> and painting the same mountain in different ways. That's paint. <laughs> Do you think it can pick up a life on streaming? I know Abs- no, it's dead. It's dead as a doornail. It's done for 32% positive from critics. Nobody's going to look at this thing. <laughs> yeah. And we have such a short attention span anymore that even if it did pop up, it last a week and go away. Yeah. I don't know what their marketing was on this. It didn't seem like it. Anybody even really knew it was coming. And then it was just sort of there. 
Um, they they really kind of fumbled that, but uh, they I think they'd already fumbled it with critics. Like they put it out to critics a few weeks ago, and I, I'm gathering that they didn't get the response that they wanted. So they just kind of cut the marketing budget, dumped it on screens across the country, and hope to recoup a couple of bucks if they can. Uh, which probably they didn't recoup much, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I but like I said, I had fun. I couldn't, you know. I couldn't, uh, I, I just found myself laughing again and again and again at the, how weird this movie is. At one point, he's just in, he's just in the back of his, his van, which he calls Vantastic, <laughs> with Michaela Watkins, and, and they've just had sex, and they're going to start having sex again, and he's, he goes, to, to, he goes to, to finger her, and he's just rubbing the side of the van. He doesn't know it. He's just kind of rubbing the little sidewall of the van. She goes, that's not me. That's the van. Is it carpeted at least? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's that's the joke. That his van is entirely carpeted with a nice bed in the back. (laughs) And that's the thing. I don't know what, what year this movie is set in. Like the flashbacks are to like 1972, but then we're 20 years in the future. So it's the 90s. But then... They make references to things that I think are modern, but I'm not sure. The movie exists in this weird space. Awesome. Maybe I'll see it someday. (laughs) All right. Our classic is, is it Basquiat? Basquiat. 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 Yes, uh, starring Jeffrey Wright. His uh, debut performance for Jeffrey Wright. uh, And the story of... uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, who became a, a hit uh, artist in the in New York in the 1980s, uh, much many people have associated him with uh, Andy Warhol, but the the film at least seems to posit that that was sort of a loose association. They became uh, a friends over time, or at least spent time together over time. But not he was not responsible for Basquiat's success, according to the movie. Anyway, it's directed by Julian Schnabel, who I think is a tremendous director who. You know, brings a lot of unique, interesting touches, ideas uh, visually to the story, and he is he directs with a good deal of energy and uh, artistry. But uh, I, you know, I don't know if he necessarily got to the heart of why people care about John John Michel Basquiat. I I don't really get didn't really get a great sense of why he was as successful as he was. Uh, I, but I, I don't really understand the New York art world in the 80s. That's for Jeff to, to talk about <laughs> and expand upon. I thought the movie was good. I thought, because I think Julian Schnabel is a good director, and I think Jeffrey Wright's a tremendous actor. Um, beyond that, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed what Claire Forlani was trying to do, uh, the very put-upon you know girlfriend role that seems to exist in all of these movies. Um, David Bowie was you know doing, I think he... he must have known Warhol, so I'm, I'm guessing he's just kind of doing what he thinks Andy Warhol was when he was around him. Uh, it's weird, but it's 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 David Bowie, so I was entertained. Uh, beyond that, yeah, that I think it's a good movie. Yeah, I'll go next, Jeff, because you'll probably be able to talk more about it than I can. <laughs> For an hour? <laughs> uh, I, I'm kind of in the same boat with Sean. I, I and even like the Bowie stuff kind of distracted me a little bit, took me out a little bit, took me out of it. And, you know, as I'm reading up on him, it's weird. You hear the movie, you hear his name said over and over again. I can't say it out loud. It's frustrating. <laughs> uh, say it with me, Bob. Boss. Boss. 
Ki. Ki. Art. Art. Basquiat. All right. I'll screw it up in about five minutes. <laughs> but, you know, and I start reading into it a little bit. You, you know, he died at 27 from uh, heroin. And and you start looking at all the other great artists that died at 27 that get called genius. And I'm always that asshole on the side going, well, they're not really genius. You know, this guy was better than Jimi Hendrix. And this guy was better <laughs> than Jim Morrison. And so, and I can't speak to this guy, <laughs> Basquiat. But it, immediately I'm start going there, and uh, and I don't like that part about me. But that's just where I was at. And uh, anyway, I'll let Jeff kind of take it from here. First of all, you can get my Basquiat sticker and my Basquiat print at jefflasser.com. Um, that being said, uh, as somebody who lived in New York for five years, I was really, really, really invested in Basquiat just generally. Um, to the point where this movie, while it's the cast is insane. I mean, just the people that Schnabel got to work on, like Parker Posey as Mary Boone, who, you know, really kind of worked him to the bone for a while in her gallery. Um, you know, just, I liked the characterization of Warhol because that's kind of how he talked. And, you know, Warhol was a cipher to a lot of people. Um, but I, I thought he really captured who Andy was in the eighties who, you know, he'd kind of moved beyond being a pop artist and then into a commercial artist for lack of a better, you know, way to speak. Um, they did do some paintings together that I saw at the, uh, Brooklyn museum that just absolutely phenomenal for me. Uh, I think, you know, at the time they were kind of put down. But there's, you know, there's been a kind of a growing resurgence in their collaborations. Um, Jeffrey Wright, I think, perfectly cast for the age he was at the time. Um, if you want to see who Jean-Michel really was, watch the movie Downtown 81, which uh, was re-released a few years ago on DVD uh, in a deluxe edition. Um, and that guy, he plays basically he's playing himself. Uh, he, one of the things about this movie, and it's just like any biopic or biopic, if you're stupid, I've heard that <laughs> recently, uh, any biopic has to condense characters down, you know, and, you know, the fact that Basquiat in real life, the character that, uh, Claire Forlani is playing was kind of an amalgamation of a couple different characters, but, um, a Suzanne Maloof, I think her last name was. Uh, she used to fight Madonna because they were both dating him at the same time, you know? And I think that's, that's how I first heard about him. Uh, you know, and I was like, where's Madonna? Why, you know, why don't you have Madonna in it? Um, the characterizations are pretty spot on. Although, you know, the fact that they have to condense so much, this could, I mean, this could have been two movies or three, even, you know, if just, he lived such a short time, but he did so much in that short time. Um, I thought that, you know, Julian Schnabel's a really good director. To me, he's a better director than he is a painter. You know, he's more about the concept. And that really shines through this. Uh, my absolute 100% favorite part of this movie is when they're taking the guy from the suicide hotline and making him into a song. Mm -hmm. It's just absolute brilliance. Um, 
and the soundtrack just is just perfect. Like that's that's you know you can listen to that from beginning to end mm. without stopping. Um, you know the the characterizations of somebody like Rene Ricard in this movie are pretty spot on, but you know you get a little bit of you know let's let's add it let's take all of his friends and turn them into Benicio del Toro instead mm-hmm. of having his friend group, which was pretty, you know, pretty varied and massive. Um, if, uh, you know, if you're ever curious about what he did and, you know, the actual story and the, like a little more involved, there's several books on, out there about him. Um, I just blanked on the one that I've read a couple times. Actually, when I lived in New York, I read this the second time and, he uh, he lived on little. Um, I'm, not, I'm gonna say little damage because I was just talking about L.A. Um, the ho- the apartment that he lived in, where he died, is now like a Chinese restaurant uh, supply store. Hmm. And I almost got to go upstairs when I lived there. I almost did. I I did a little uh, uh, kid robot figure of him. And to take pictures for my website, I took it across the street and put that in the background and everything. And the lady asked me, what are you doing? And I told her, she's like, oh, well, if I come, if you're still here, when I come back, then I'll let you come up and you can look at it. And I was like, oh, and then I waited for like two hours and she never came back. So Uh. yeah, I was devastated. (laughs) Um, You know, just this does, it, it does kind of give you a slice of the downtown art scene from the eighties. Not enough. In my opinion, I would like to see, you know, another biopic of him. Uh, of course, you know, I, I love movies and stuff, but I would love to see like, my God, a miniseries about him would be amazing. So definitely yeah, I, see this I, if you want to learn about there's, some there's of a, the other stuff, you know. There's an element of this that that even if it is, even as it is Julian Schnabel and a tremendous director, there's an element of uh biopicness about it like it, it's not innovative I think enough i said something and my computer decided that i wanted to listen to a song <laughs> on my apple music um uh, sorry about that that's all right uh there's an element to of, of conventionality that that uh that i think detracts from the story they're trying to tell uh, uh which is unfortunate because julian novel tends to defy convention in his movies and i uh, he he's, he's right. going rather Rather, sorry. Are you okay, Jeff? Hello. You still there? Did you mute your? Did you mute yourself, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> I think we lost Jeff. I hear him, but you, I don't think he hears us. No, I don't, he's not hearing us at all. Uh, <laughs> uh maybe we can get Jeff back. Um, okay, here I am. All right. I was just saying that there's an element of conventionality to this that is not typical of what Julian Schnabel does as a director, and uh, the, a biopic quality to this that uh, that I think detracts from trying to explain why his art was so memorable, transcendent, and made him you know this kind of young legend. Yeah. And Sean's kind of ruined biopics for me since <laughs> before. <laughs> Prior to the podcast, like I, I loved Ray, and all of a sudden we started doing all these biopics, and he starts tearing them apart, and I'm just like, he's not wrong on anything he's saying. 
you know, the only one I can think of liking really is that Elton John one lately that came Rock out. Rocket Man. That was yeah, because it, it wasn't really a biopic. It was just kind of they took a song as to tell kind of a fantasy version of what happened. Uh, I mean, so I so I'm also bringing that to this movie too. But at the same time, it's you know. Miramax at that point in time was making phenomenal movies. The cast was insane. Uh, everywhere you and even like I'm sure Boy was great. It was the fact that I could see David Bowie in the character that that threw me off. Uh, but I mean, you had uh, like you said, Benicio del Toro, Parker Posey, Harvey Keitel. Uh, was Gary Oldman in it? I think uh, Christopher Walken. Yeah. Christopher Walken. I mean, it was just and there's still like seven or eight other people I can't. I'm forgetting. Uh, it was just. It was a phenomenally well acted movie. It's just one of those where it definitely everything Sean says about biopics was in this movie, and and I don't know, just from being exhausted or what, I was definitely bringing bad habits that I have to this movie, which didn't really allow me to get into it. I feel bad about that. Is is '90s Benicio del Toro among the most insufferable actors on the planet? Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I, yeah, yeah, yes. Some people loved him then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, yeah, he was the worst part of this for me. Just uh, and then because I, I I just could he just everything he did was just like I've got to do a bit to 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 be an actor in this moment you know i've got to be doing something to to bring attention to myself or be or to show off my acting capital a i'm benicio del toro i'm acting in this scene <laughs> <laughs> well and i had kind of the opposite effect there where i like i know he's supposed to be a really good actor because i remember people talking about him before i knew who he was and <laughs> so i'm just assuming it's good but here you are telling me it's bad so i'll accept that <laughs> I wasn't in the right headspace for this. <laughs> Anything else on Basquiat before we move on to 93? Nope. All right. 1993, we had Sidekicks, Bodies Rest in Motion, The Sandlot, and Indecent Proposal. Uh, we did so. We lost two episodes due to it uh, of the '93 podcast due to a technical problem, but uh, we do have the indecent proposal episode that will be going up soon. And uh, indecent proposal is 30 years old, and it, it is such a strange experience to watch this movie today. <laughs> this this gimmick of a movie that is basically what well, would you let your wife sleep with another man for a million dollars is the, the, the simple gimmick of this. But at the heart of it is just this fragile male ego about like you know it's like dogs marking their territory and their territory happens to be Demi Moore like it's so gross at one point Robert Redford says to Woody Harrelson I wouldn't part with her like she's like a fucking car like anytime he talks about her he's talking about like uh well he, he's addressing Woody Harrelson and and not her like well are you gonna let her do this or uh he's talking to her and Woody Harrelson will try and like vaguely say well maybe you should ask her what she would like to do uh but the movie just keeps doing that mostly this is directed by adrian line and he just wants people to fuck that's basically <laughs> like adrian line just wants to film people to fucking in like sunsets like that's all he really wants to do and that uh, he does that plenty 
but like but Robert Redford's character is supposed to be like handsome and exciting and he's like no he's just he's just damaged like severely damaged human being <laughs> like he has no he has no soul like he had an experience when he was like 24 where he missed the chance to talk to a beautiful girl on a subway and it's like rendered him heartless for the rest of his life to the point where if somebody says no to him it's like a fetish now that he has to have it and so that's what it that's his whole point of pursuing to me more and then he pretend then he gets he convinces himself he's in love with her because the movie requires that but real the reality is, is that he doesn't care about her at all he just wants the thing that said no to him which i guess is a character know. trait but the movie the movie presents that but is not about that it's not it's not questioning that perspective in any way uh instead it's about like no she's mine 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 <laughs> back and forth and she's just kind of there like you guys are assholes i don't i like i don't okay fine i'll go with one of you <laughs> well that's <laughs> so what, sad i mean this so sad to me this movie is nothing more than a marketing campaign because it all for several years was would you or wouldn't you it wasn't even the movie asked that but so did the when you, the tr- Every interview that when anybody would talk about it, they'd go out on the streets and ask people, would you let your wife do this? No one's asking the wife. They're just asking the husband, would you let your wife sleep with another man for a million dollars? Not, would you do this for a million dollars? Would you fuck Robert Redford for a million dollars, Bob? Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Probably for $100,000. Now. Sex work is work. That's all I'm you, pay saying. Off, you pay off my car and my <laughs> credit card, and I'll fuck Robert Redford even even now. Yeah. Like, I, if my <laughs> girlfriend, if my girlfriend and I are presented this, I'm I'm hopefully like, if she wants to say yes, and I want to say yes, what's the problem with that? Well, I don't care. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I need it. We need a million bucks. You know, we want to save our house. Yeah, let's do that. I like it. It, I so don't have the male ego thing where I'm like concerned he's going to be better at sex than me, which is like another plot <laughs> point in this movie. Woody Harrelson is so desperately worried that Robert Redford has a magic dick that's going to take her away. <laughs> well, I mean, he has a better dick than me. Calm down, you dude. Ha- really, <laughs> you have you have Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson at the height of their powers. Okay, they both look insanely good looking. Um. You know, kind of the height of their popularity up until that point. And you put them in this music video without any good music in it. And, you know, do that misogynistic well, will you let her? It's not up to me. You know, that that is mm. what really bugged me. I, I'm glad I didn't rent this movie. I actually was going to. And then I was like, wait a minute. I was at a used bookstore. I'm like, oh, I should look and see if they have it for cheap because there's only like, they have $2 DVDs. And I started to look at it. And then I found the that they had the Robert Redford four pack. And that was one of them. And I'm like, wait, I already own this movie. And I came home and I well, I actually did still own this movie. Um, and I started to watch it. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'm getting into it. You know, they're, they're a happy couple. And I really didn't expect it to come up in the first half hour. And then the whole movie be about, you know, the misogynist asshole. And she was stupid because she just went with him, you know, like, oh, I'm just so impressed by the money. And, you know, I don't want to deal with the jealousy. So I might as well, instead of like working through my problems, I'm just going to go with a rich asshole who doesn't see me as anything but a commodity. 
But no, she, I think she, I think it was just, she just kind of gave up more than anything. Like that's not, well, it's yeah, not that's like a romantic, like, like she just, she's like, he won't leave. He's he ruined her job. He's ruined her relationship. Like, and he just won't leave. So like, what choice do I have? You can call the police and say this man is <laughs> harassing me. And then he'll pay off the police to, to say he's fine. Because that's and what rich you, guys do. Then you pull us sleeping with the enemy. Come quickly. <laughs> I've just killed an intruder. That's basically the only option she would have is to fucking kill him. Yeah. Like, this movie is so stupid. Why doesn't it go there? <laughs> you guys just made a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> Woody Harrelson, she and Woody Harrelson have to cover up a body. <laughs> it's a far oh, better yeah. fucking movie. And Sleeping with the Enemy sucked too, so if you kind of combine these two and made it <laughs> the best parts of both. God, I loved <laughs> Sleeping with the Enemy when I was a kid. I was like, oh, oh, come quickly, I've just killed it. Oh my God, that's the best. You know, and then I watch it now and I'm like, wow, this movie just is a whole movie leading up to that line. <laughs> I just love how Zach and Mary talk about that movie and that <laughs> movie. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah, indecent proposal kind of sucked. It's yeah, and it's so it's just so out of date. Like that that level of of uh accident like that level of moralizing is just so silly. And the judgmental attitude that we all have towards towards monogamy is very i find very weird like if you want to be monogamous do that that's for you do that that's fine other people don't really care and if you want to be monogamous don't have sex with other people pretty simple right. <laughs> i mean they had a choice they made a choice accept your choice woody harrelson just accept it <laughs> like he's such a dumb character yeah I, they are all dumb in this movie they're really just however not as dumb as the characters in Bodies Rest in Motion. <laughs> Tell me about that one because I've I've only heard of it. Oh God! So this was another one of those, you know, 1993. I was like jerking off to Premiere magazine, not actually, <laughs> but metaphorically, intellectually. Uh, and this is one that I had just moved back to the area from Denver from college, where I could have probably seen it. And I couldn't find it anywhere. So I was really, you know, oh, my God, I got to wait till it comes out on video. And I was so excited. And I I think I was so excited and had, like, read so much about it that I just I had to like it. And I tried watching it this weekend twice. And I was just like, God, Tim Roth, no wonder I don't like you now. Because <laughs> this movie. Um, love Bridget Fonda. I love Bridget Fonda. And I, she, I, I will watch her do anything, even to this day. But just this movie was so boring and long. What's I watched it on. Well, is there a story? He, kind of. <laughs> he gets um, he gets fired from his job, and then she's a waitress. Bridget Fonda's a waitress, and he's kind of taken up a little with Phoebe Cates, and they're all friends, and um, so they're moving in a couple days, and so then. She starts having Bridget Fonda starts having long conversations with um, a house painter played by what's his face uh, Eric Stoltz who is physically repellent to me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of philosophizing about like being in your twenties and all this stuff. And she's got an attraction to him, and then he's attracted to Phoebe Cates, and they have a lot of 
talk and then Tim Roth takes off and he's driving, you know, from Arizona to uh, Montana where they're going to live. And I gave up. <laughs> <laughs> Love nothing greater than nineties navel gazing. Isn't it the best? <laughs> oh my God. It was like, if you took out all the charm and music of singles <laughs> and then you like just dosed it with really horrible dialogue and repetitiveness. Mm-hmm. You've got bodies versus emotion. There Sorry, Bridget. And then well, I'm glad I've not seen it. Then <laughs> there's sidekicks in Sandlot. <laughs> I don't know if we need to talk about those, but they came out as well. Sandlot, I know, is very popular among a lot of baseball fans. I I could give give a shit about it. <laughs> it just doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah, I loved baseball as a kid and I probably was the right age for it too and I it, it's fine I don't hate it I don't love it but I don't look back on it as one of my favorite baseball movies even a little bit you don't have a you're killing me smalls t-shirt like everybody else that shops at Walmart and Target maybe that's why I don't <laughs> like it <laughs> went yeah. to a horror convention actually a couple years ago and I think every fourth person was wearing that shirt. And I was just like, what's that from? Because I'd never seen it. And they were like, oh, it's from The Sandlot. It's like the best movie ever when you're a kid. And I'm like, God, nostalgia is horrible. And also it's Target and Kohl's. <laughs> All right. Next week, we got Mafia Mama, Nefarious, The, Pope Ex- the Pope's Exorcist. Renfeld and Sweetwater are all those coming, Sean? As far as I know, yes. Uh, so far, so far. I mean, it could change, uh, but uh, I do believe we're getting each of those. Maybe. And uh, Pope's Exorcist has been a weird release because it like it was coming out last week and then they moved it a week later, uh, and the release has been kind of hit and miss on the on the dates with that one. But uh, Mama Mafia, Nefarious. Renfield, uh, Sweetwater is going to be, yes, Pope's Exorcist, yes, is also going to be there. Metallica 72 Seasons is having its global premiere on Thursday, in case you're interested. Uh, <laughs> I can do that There's also a movie, movie called Beautiful Disaster. I don't know what that is, but apparently it's going to be there as well. Beautiful Disaster, that sounds familiar. Oh, and Suzumi. I'm, I'm actually going to see Suzumi tomorrow. How do you spell Suzumi? S-U-Z-U-M-E. It's an, uh, it's an anime. Oh. All right. Uh, have we decided on a classic? Are we doing Married to the Mob? Are we going to go on the Dracula? What are you guys thinking? We have done Dracula before, haven't we? I was thinking Boris Karloff. Or not Boris Karloff. Uh, the original, like, 1931. Did we do that one? Yeah, Bella Lugosi. Ghosty, I thought we did. Or maybe we did we do the was there one in the sixties? Yeah, there's been. We never did any of the Christopher Lee ones. We never did the Christopher Lee Draculas. Well, I I was talking to Bob uh, before you joined us, Sean, and I said that this is a direct sequel to the 1931 movie. Hmm. And since if you've done it, it's been years, and I wasn't on the show. I'm more than happy to do it. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So Dracula, 1931. 
1993, Benny and June, Boiling Point, and Wide Sargasso Sea. I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, I, I don't either. It's, yeah. Um, it didn't look very interesting when we were trying to decide what to do for the 93 podcast, but we obviously we settled on Betty in June. Yeah. All right. Let's do a little bit of flick chart until I have to go pick my daughter up. If you guys are okay with that. That's fine. I can find where I put it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, do you want to just do it regular? Or do you want to run best? I don't think Basquiat has much of a chance of getting too far, so let's just no. keep it regular. Nothing against it. I just, I just don't think it would get very high on the list. Coyote Ugly or Beetlejuice? Coyote Ugly. Coyote Ugly. Agreed. I watched that film like twenty-five or twenty-six times when I was working at a theater when it came out. <laughs> really. Uh, I was in the booth, so I was just like, I'd run it and I'd sit up there and just eat my popcorn and watch it yeah, <laughs> I, four times a night. I watched it a few times just because I had a huge crush on Piper Parabo. Who doesn't? Even I have a crush on her. And Maria <laughs> Bello. My I would let Maria Bello destroy me. <laughs> me too. My super ex-girlfriend, <laughs> High Noon. High Noon. High Noon. The Descendants, Hot Fuzz. The Descendants. Descendants. I don't. I don't like anything. I. I don't even like Shaun of the Dead anymore. It's been so played. Yeah. First. Ooh. First Blood Part Two. Vacuum. Never heard of the other one. Are them Rambo wins? <laughs> God damn it! Yes. <laughs> Rambo yes. First Blood Part Two or Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Friday the Friday 13th, 13th part, part, two. part two. I've never actually seen the second one. You haven't? Oh, it's it's actually really good. It, it's solid. It's it's a lot of people's favorite Friday the 13th. Really? Yeah, and my friend Lauren's in it, so you should see it. Someday. Animal House, Pay It Forward. Animal House. Yeah, Animal House, Pay It Forward is absolute trash. With Kevin Spacey. Even with Nicolas Cage, it wouldn't work. <laughs> Superman oh. to die for. To die for. Yeah, I really love Superman, though. The best Superman to date for. is Christopher Reeve. In the absence, Moonrise Kingdom. Never heard of it. Argo, Moonrise Kingdom. That's tough. Um, yeah. I, I really love Moonrise Kingdom a lot, but I also love Argo a lot. Um, I'm man, that's... I, I love Moonrise. I'm going Moonrise. I'm going Argo. Did you say Argo, Jeff? Yeah. I just... like I love Argo, but like Moonrise is the one that's stayed with me since 2012. Danny Collins, Alien 3. What's Danny I, Collins? I don't remember Danny Collins. Transformers, Dark of the Moon, <laughs> Alien 3. Alien 3. Alien 3. A bad alien movie I, still better than fucking Transformers. I unironically like Alien 3. I like David Fincher. I don't know. I didn't love Alien 3, but... <laughs> I'll just the... pretend. I'll, I'll pretend the version of Alien 3 I have in my head 
That's what <laughs> producer's cut. Yeah. It's like the producer's cut is really good. Even better than the director's cut. <laughs> Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian. You don't mess with the Zohan. Good Lord. Just the death. Do I vote for death? <laughs> <laughs> Night at the Museum, Ben Stiller over Adam Sandler. <laughs> Uh, be cool rain of fire be cool be cool just for the rock though the rock is funny rest in peace tunnel 127 hours never heard of tunnel this is like a record for movies we haven't heard of yeah (laughs) hurt locker 127 hours that is tough um 127 hours Hurt Locker. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I just wanted to see Bob pick. Oh, because usually Sean and I are on the same page. I was. <laughs> uh, Airplane, Airplane two. two, the sequel, or the Dukes of Hazard. Airplane Two. Agreed. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Monsters Ball. Monsters Ball. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The Living Daylights, Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. A Good Day to Die Hard or Keepers Creepers? Jeepers Creepers. (laughs) Yes, Jeepers Creepers. 500 Days of Summer, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, Potter. I hate Zoe Deschanel still. I, re- I really like 500 Days of Summer. I'm going there. <laughs> I can't give two shits. Uh, I'll go 500 Days of Summer. The Wrestler Ghost World. Man, that's tough. Oh, man. I don't know what to do with that one. Um, I think I would probably watch Ghost World first. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I'm going to watch one, I love The Wrestler. I think it's incredible, but I would watch Ghost World. Yeah, Ghost World. I think I'd watch The Wrestler, but I love Ghost World, too. Aeon Flux, The Ten Commandments. Aeon Flux only because it's shorter. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen Aeon Flux, so I've only seen it. It's bad. It's terrible, but, like, I just don't want to sit through The Ten Commandments at all. But your mom loved it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Every Easter. The Theory of Everything, Star Trek Into the Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. It doesn't have Eddie Redmayne in it. (laughs) Intolerable (sighs) Cruelty, Requiem for a Dream. I I think Intolerable Cruelty is a much better movie than than people have said it is. I think it's it's probably, it's obviously lower tier Coen Brothers, but it's actually a pretty good movie. Uh, But Requiem for a Dream is obviously, I think, a better movie overall. I could watch Intolerable Cruelty again. I don't think I could ever watch Requiem for a Dream again. But it's still a better movie. That's kind of like, on television. That's kind of like the charm of Requiem for a Dream, though. It's like, you can only see it once. <laughs> and you never <laughs> want to watch I was, it again. Nobody got this, but when they asked me um, to show my art on, one of the, on Living Local in the Quad Cities last year. And 
I walked around. I was like, I'm going to be on television. <laughs> and nobody got it, like, except for one of my friends. And they were like, what? And I was like, I'm going to be on television. And they're like, are you just like doing Ellen Burstyn? And, and I'm like, no, I'm going to actually be on television. <laughs> A Bronx Tale, The Fountain. Bronx Tale, only because The Fountain is just too weepy. I never saw The Fountain. Hugh Jackman but, uh, just crying the entire movie. If you like that. Oh, 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 yeah. I, I saw the previews <laughs> and I was like, nope, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, Bronx Tale. Limitless Scream 4. Scream 4. Yeah, Scream 4. Urban Legend Empire Records. Empire Records. Urban Legend. It's Empire Records for me. Slow I know. I just... That's okay. Slither, Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. It's too stupid to be. It's too stupid. It's so much fun for being as dumb as it is. Yeah, you get to see Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell's ass in the in the eighties. So yeah, I, we'll go I, I just wish Slither was more fun. It's just it gets too gross for me. I love Slither. Don't get me wrong. I just see. I hate Tango and Cash so much. <laughs> <laughs> And I love those too. Uh, Adventureland, Poltergeist. Adventureland. Poltergeist. Poltergeist. 100%. Uh, I'd probably watch Poltergeist first. Law Abiding. You moved the bar. Law Abiding Citizen, the Star Trek Nemesis. Again, can I vote for Death? <laughs> no, there is no movie called Death, apparently. Fine, Star Trek Nemesis. Yeah, just or voting against Gerard Butler, not for exactly. <laughs> exactly, yes, that is absolutely true. The Astro Zombies hook. I've never seen the Astro Zombies. I want to. It's on, I put it on my list of things, but uh, I've never seen it. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, then we'll just pick something better. Is it good? It's. It is what it is. Ooh. So it has Astro Zombies in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Okay. That's all I want. So that's fine. <laughs> 28 Days Later, Hook. 28, 28 days, later. days Later. I have a soft spot for Hook, though. Yeah. About a Boy, The Shallows. About a Boy. Uh, I got The Shallows for a dollar, and I feel like I overpaid. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It was actually it was actually pretty good. I thought it was pretty if good. A if implausible, it was good. So I'm going to pick the shallows, just to be contrary. I'll go to about a boy. Swordfish, the great dictator. Great dictator. Yeah, I'll Where, take that just slightly above Halle Berry's boobs. <laughs> cellular. Oh yeah, she shows her boobs. <laughs> Literally the only thing anybody knows about swordfish. I think I've told it on the show before, but. As soon as that scene happens, somebody in the theater goes, all right, we can leave now. <laughs> <laughs> I had to sit through Swordfish twice. Not not because I'm a perp. The, 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 sure, uh, the camera shut off. The, the projector shut off uh, during the bus chase. And so I had to, they had to give me a ticket so I could come back and see it a second time. Was the bus chase before or after the boobs? I forget. <laughs> It's after. It's oh, so you got to see it twice. The, the start of the third act. 
Cellular next. Cellular. I never saw Cellular. Neither I. It's it's not great. Dream Girls, Mississippi Burning. Hmm. Hmm. Um. And Mississippi Burning is a better movie. Yeah, the homo in me says Dream Girls, but I would watch Mississippi Burning again. I'm not a Beyonce fan. What is wrong with you? <laughs> 16 Blocks or Life of Brian? I've never seen 16 Blocks and I haven't seen Life of Brian in 30 years. Yeah, it's fine. We can don't, I don't think it matters. We can just <laughs> blow them both off. Spy Kids 2, Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Are you sure? Wow, this one is really tough. Uh, nobody's home and I have dogs they're going to bark the rest of the show I apologize Speed Racer Swordfish Speed Racer yeah Boys in the Hood Freddy Got Fingered (laughs) (laughs) Boys in the Hood Boys in the Hood Freddy Got Fingered was kind of funny though it's memorable it's damn memorable yeah this is true the Truth About Cats and Dogs, Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon. Yeah. Hmm. Boring myself. Dune or Big Daddy? 1984 <laughs> Good fucking Dune. Christ. Just, <laughs> just no. Just no all around. You've picked Dune. death three times. No. <laughs> you would seriously sit through 84 <laughs> Dune over Big Daddy. I would it's rather got Stephen watch, King. And I would rather got, watch got, Dune than watch Adam Sandler pissing for th- for ninety minutes. Yes, he only pisses it's on got, the cover. It's got Sting in a in a little tiny bikini. We voted against Swordfish twice. I will not vote for Big Daddy. It's just no, not happening. I, I hate know. that movie. I, I, <laughs> should we vote? Should we both vote for Big Daddy? Feel free. <laughs> I'm okay with the fishing with guided choice and calling it a show. <laughs> but I can't pick Dune. That was hard. Okay, Big Daddy. <laughs> Suck it, Sean. That's a good way to end it, oh. too. Babes, 25th hour. 25th hour. Yeah, sure. Sean should be mad. La La Land, Dallas Buyers Club. La La Land. Yeah. Conan the Destroyer, Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco. Oh, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Donnie Brasco. (laughs) Cujo, Dracula, 1931. That's really tough, actually. Cujo is not a bad movie. Like, that's one of the shows. That's one of the things that we've done in the show that just so surprised me with how clever it is. Like the the way that they play that with that dog, just keeping her, keeping the family, keeping the mom and son in that car for so long. Like you think something else is going to happen. I thought that was really clever. I think it's a legit scary movie. Like most scary movies are just kind of you watch it and you laugh or have fun or whatever. But Cujo, I think, is legit scary. I'll go I Dracula, but, but I, I love Cujo. I think Cujo's awesome. We'll pick Cujo if you want. 
No, I think Dracula's a better movie, genuinely. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll pick Cujo. I got to see Cujo. I got to see Cujo with Louis Teague, the director. That was cool. That's cool. I think for Cujo, it's just a lot of a lot of it is a little, little recency bias. I've seen Cujo more recently than I've seen Dracula. Yeah. But Dracula Dracula's lasted nearly a hundred years for a reason. Yeah. Because it's it's incredible. When you so, could you pick Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, could you pick out those scenes where the, there's a human being playing the dog? Uh, I'm not probably if I were if I were really looking for it. <laughs> I'm sure. But. Did, but you read a lot of books, Jeff. Did you have you read Cujo? Oh, yeah. Twice. I feel like maybe I'm in the minority, but a lot of Stephen King's third acts fall apart a little bit. Is the, the book Cujo any good? I haven't actually read it. Um, actually, I like the ending of Cujo better than the movie. But um, it's one of the few, he doesn't really, I don't, I think that's the one he doesn't remember writing because he was so <laughs> coked out of his mind. Mm, yeah. um, and I think that that's one of his better endings. Uh, I mean, spoiler alert for a 45 year old book, but the kid dies at the Oh, wow. And it's much more effective. You know, I think if they killed Danny Pintaro in the movie, it would have been, it, it would have been too bleak. You know, that's what Lewis Teague said. He said after we watched the movie, he got up and did a Q and A, and he was like, "We we did, we went with the kind of happy ending because it was such a bleak book, mm-hmm. and it didn't get any better by killing him off. It was just still bleak. Um, the book is it's really good, and I like the ending better, but it's very it's just a constant like." everything bad is happening. You know, it's not, there's no real like, Oh, up with people kind of thing to it. Whereas the movie, there's at least hope at the end of it. There's no supernatural so. twist on it or anything like that. Right. Or no, it- no, uh-uh, no. And it is funny though. Like, um, in, uh, was it it chapter one, 2017, that they make a joke that, um, Bill Denborough can't end a, end a book. <laughs> Just like Stephen King, <laughs> Stephen King's endings just tend to fall apart. Well, yeah, so, like Pet Cemetery was such a good book until the end, and I'm just like, this is awful. And even <laughs> it is yeah. just kind of like, really, that's how they get out of there. <laughs> well, the, I thought the ending of Pet Cemetery, the movie, was better than the book. I agree, but I still would have gone even further away from the book. Yeah. All right, Double Jeopardy or Good Girl. The good girl. Yeah, the good girl. Although. The Mothman prophecies are alien resurrection. They're both terrible. Um, uh, alien resurrection is more fun. Flip a coin. I can't vote for Mothman <laughs> prophecies. I hate it. <laughs> Batman 2022. Max, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, controversial choice. I'm taking the Batman. That's controversial. I think that's better. Most of the internet is going to be upset with us. <laughs> I think Ma- I think Mad Max is far and away superior to, to Batman, but that's fine. Uh, the Black Dahlia, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The Black Dahlia, incredible film. Is it? I've I've only ever put it on when I'm getting ready to go to bed, and it works. Fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think it's fantastic. Last action hero, A Star is Born. A Star is Born. Boy, A Star is Born. 
Although I'm looking forward to seeing Last Action Hero again in a couple months. 10 Cloverfield Lane, Lethal Weapon. 10 Cloverfield Lane. I love that movie. I have to think about it a little bit, but I'm going Lethal Weapon. I, yeah, I can't. It's too ingrained in me. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Taken or Rugrats? Can we, can we be done now? Taken. <laughs> oh, God. If one of the Rugrats said, I have a specific set of skills. <laughs> no, Taken. They, I don't, they have to get no, Chucky back from the, from the daycare. He's like right? a specific set of skills. I would rather watch Rugrats. <laughs> and and Bob could beat up the Rugrats, so this is true. <laughs> All right, and do you guys want to keep going? <laughs> just, uh, little Giants raw deal, <laughs> raw deal. Yeah. I swear to God, Flick Church is fucking with us. <laughs> Wonder Boys or Grown Ups? Wonder Boys. Wonderful film. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven or Vertigo? Vertigo. God, why is this even a question? Vertigo. <laughs> blindness, Finding Forrester. I'm, I don't remember Blindness. No. Two movies you could give two shits about. Uh, Alien Flux or Finding <laughs> Forrester. You're the man now, dog. Finding Forrester. Sure. Did you just quote Finding Forrester? Yeah. <laughs> what? You guys don't know the quote? The most famous quote from Finding Forrester? It's from Finding Forrester. <laughs> it's like the most forgotten I movie of I should 20- explain. I should explain. In the, in the, in the, like, early 2000s one of the most famous websites for like just being an absolute asshole like reddit before reddit was this place called ytmnd uh which is just a lot of shit posting and and ytmnd literally means you're the man now dog and it's just they had the one of the very first gifts ever was just sean connery pointing at rob brown you're the man now dog you're the man just over and over again just ironically appreciating it so that's how i know it (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Sean. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> All right, we're not voting on this one. Game podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> oh. uh, Super Mario Three, Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth wins. All right, Iron Man wins, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and never heard of VFW. All right, then we're done. Oh, right. you haven't? Have you? Yeah, I have. Uh, it's 2019. It's a horror movie. I suppose I could see. <laughs> Is it any good? It's fine. It's not. It's nothing great. I mean, it's got a good cast in it. Um, it's the movie where uh, Fred Williamson, the black exploitation star, is in it, and he got accused of misconduct. Oh boy. On that note. But. <laughs> 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 We will see you next week when we talk about a million movies that came come out. Yeah, what the fuck, April? Come on. Right? There are too many movies. My <laughs> oh, and weekend. I don't know if it's coming here, but on my birthday, April 28th, allegedly they are re-releasing Return of the Jedi to theaters. 
Nice. So if they do and it comes here, we're going to talk about it. Because <laughs> that'll be the movie I see that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to Renfield. I, I, I love. I want to see Nicolas Cage as Dracula. I'm excited. That's. I was looking that's forward, forward to it, but till the trailer started dropping. Yeah, as long as it's now. better than that first fucking trailer that I saw 40 times in front of 40 different movies. <laughs> uh, I think it'll be good. All right. Well, that's our show. We will see you next week. See ya. Bye.